Okay, so you can't live in my house without a re regular input of dad jokes. Um, so here's a Mother's Day one for you that I just couldn't resist sharing. A son asks his dad, Dad, what does a man do? The dad replied, a man is someone who is responsible and cares for his family. And the son said, I hope one day I can be a man just like mum. <laughs> that was just too good not to share today. Um, but it raises an interesting point that there are characteristics that we associate with mothers and others that we associate with fathers. And of course, there's lots and lots of um, overlap in all that as well. Um, about a year ago, I started running, which is ridiculous, really, because I'm the least sporty person I know. Um, but it helped with my mental health and it shed a few kilos. And I loved how it made me feel, so I just kept going. And as I started running the same route around our um, neighbourhood, I noticed that there's a house that I run past that has a park bench, actually just like this one, um, at the bottom of the driveway. And it's placed under a tree, and it's kind of looking down the, down the road. And when I first saw it, I started having this conversation in my head. And you know, it's the kind of conversation that, that only you hear except now you're going to hear it because I'm now going to tell you what I was thinking. And my thoughts were, that's such a silly place to put a park bench. Um, it was a really lovely house. It's got a really nice garden. It's kind of perched up on a, on a hill a little bit. And I could think of about 10 different spots that were better for putting a park bench than at the bottom of the driveway looking down the, down the road. I thought it was kind of a boring spot. And that was until one day I started running past and I saw a mum sitting on the bench and she was sitting in a dressing gown and she was holding a cup of tea and next to her was a little girl in a school uniform and a school bag and as I ran past I saw this orange school bus uh, come up the road and it stopped in front of the house and the little girl got on and she sat next to a window that mum could see and she waved goodbye and mum waved goodbye and the bus um, drove off, and the mum lingered a little bit longer over her cup of tea on the bench. And I suppose she might have been contemplating the rest of her day. And here's what I thought, what an excellent place to put a park bench. <laughs> Amazing how a perspective can change when just a little bit of extra information, um, we have a bit of extra information and we become less judgmental. And then a few weeks later, I ran past the bench again, and on that day, there was a dad sitting on the bench, and his daughter was with him, and he had his legs kind of straddled apart, and his daughter was standing in between them, and he was reading her a book while they were waiting um, for the bus. And it made me think that so much of life happens on the park benches of life. It's in the ordinariness of life that love and care and human connection and relationships happen. And while the intentional parts of life are important, it's also about making the most of the unintentional and in-between moments of life. It's the conversations that we have as parents with our kids, it's the conversations in the car, it's at the, the pickups and drop-offs to sport and school and in waiting rooms, and it's the conversations in the in-between moments of life. And it's the characteristics of mothers and fathers, just like the care I saw in those parents on the bench waiting for the bus that give us an idea of what God's like because together we're made in God's image 
uh, men and women reflect his characteristics. And our picture of what God is like is one that is um, important for us to develop. Um, Sorry, let me say that again. Our picture of what God is like is one of the most important things we can develop through our lives because it helps us answer questions like where is God in our suffering and uh, what is his disposition when we fail and how does he view us? These questions have a huge impact on how we see ourselves and others and the world around us and they all depend upon the character of God. So the very first place in the Bible where God describes himself and describes what he's like and what his character is like is back in the old part of the Bible, in what we call the Old Testament, in Exodus 34. Um, We actually see what God is like before that, but this is the first time he actually speaks and says what he is like. And it's a very known, well-known verse, and you'll recognise it when we read it, because it gets quoted often. But you need to know the circumstances that precede that verse so that you can understand the context and the impact of God's words expressed in this verse. So here's the context. So um, we have the Israelites. So the Israelites were, people, were a people group, and they played a really important role in the Old Testament of the Bible, They were descendants of a man called Abraham, who God had called to leave uh, his country, his homeland, and travel to a new land that God had promised and um, to give him and his descendants. Now, the Israelites ended up being slaves in Egypt for several centuries until God raised up Moses to lead them out of slavery and into a new land, um, their own. So they were a people group, so they were able to be their own people group and have their own country, which God had promised them. So the Israelites were people who believed in one God. They believed in Yahweh. And they were given a set of laws and commandments by God through Moses. And they considered themselves to be God's chosen people. And they believed that God had entered into a special covenant relationship with them and promised to bless them. So this group of people the Israelites, were slaves. And then God did a whole lot of amazing things to actually get them out of slavery um, and out of uh, Egypt, which was no small feat trying to get all of those people out, not to mention the fact that that is also Egypt's labour force that were going to be extracted from their society. So there was a whole bunch of crazy things that happened that persuaded the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. And you can go back into Exodus and read all of those. There's dramatic things involving frogs and gnats and flies and boils and hail. And eventually the Israelites came um, out of um, Egypt. Then God uh, does this amazing thing. He parts the Red Sea so that the Israelites can go through the Red Sea and then just before the Egyptians get to them, he closes the Red Sea and and kills everybody. Um, Massive miracle and um, epic story. He then feeds them manna and quail, um, provides for them. He leads them through the wilderness with a cloud uh, uh, during the day and a pillar of fire at night. So amazing things. God did um, amazing things to get them out of there. And then while they're on their journey, Moses gets called up uh, to a mountain where he goes and gets the Ten Commandments. Now, he was up there for 
quite a long time. I'm not sure that the Israelites knew how long Moses was going to be gone. We know, because we can read the story, that it was 40 days and 40 nights, but maybe they didn't know. Um, So they're waiting and waiting. And uh, what do people do when they grow impatient? And what do we do when we grow impatient? Uh, We start doing things our way instead of waiting. And so what they decide to do is they, they kind of think, hey, how about we just get all our jewellery and all our gold that we've got and how about we just pull it all together and let's make an idol and we'll make a calf and, um, and we'll just worship that instead because, you know, Moses is gone and we don't know where God is and, and so they do that. And then not only that, they then convince themselves that... Um, that it's actually the golden calf that helped get them out of Egypt and not God. So then God, like a parent, understandably gets angry. (laughs) And I would too. Um, After everything he'd done for them and led them through, he got them out of slavery and the miracles he'd done, and it didn't take long for them to kind of think um, God wasn't there anymore. And God just about throws in the towel and considers not leading them anymore. And that was until Moses steps in and pleads with God not to destroy the people. And in fact, Moses says, if you actually um, destroy us, then the Egyptians will think that you just got us out of Egypt um, in order to kill us in the wilderness. So it's almost like Moses didn't care about his reputation, he cared about God's reputation. And he reminds God and asks God to remain faithful to the covenant that he made and that he was going to make them a great nation. And then it says that God changes his mind. And it's at this point in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, that God actually audibly says what he's like. So Moses comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments and God is in the cloud and God says these words, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And we know those words because they're requoted in the Psalms, in Psalm 103 and Psalm 86. So one of the first words that God uses as a description of himself is as compassionate. And it's really interesting because that word compassion in the Hebrew comes from the word rechem, which is womb. So the word that conveys the emotion and nurture that a a mother and father has for a vulnerable child. And when you think about the preciousness of a child growing inside of a woman, inside of a womb that's safe and protected and nurtured and loved, Um, It's a really strong word for for compassion, a strong description for compassion. And the the word womb also gives us the sense that compassion originates in a person's core. It's in our gut. It's our gut instinct. Um, It's something that we feel in our inner being. And that's what God uses to describe himself as compassionate. Um, The context with which we use this word draws out nurturing emotions, so being deeply moved and God being a God of compassion. So if we fast forward then to the New Testament and we have a look at the life of Jesus, obviously Jesus is um, God in human form living with us and amongst us 
we see those characteristics in Jesus too, that Jesus is compassionate. Um, while there are many stories in the Gospel, in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where Jesus is compassionate, the story that comes to mind, especially on Mother's Day, is the story where Jesus lays hands on the children. Um, in Matthew 18, we read the stories of parents bringing their children to Jesus. Um, and the disciples scolded them. They were pretty harsh in their response. I think they thought that the children were getting in the way and that they were annoying or they were not as important as um, talking to the adults, which is what Jesus was doing. But Jesus was filled with compassion and he was womb-like. Um, he did with the kids what he did with the adults. He didn't say to the kids, oh, good to have you here now, kids, um, but I'm just going to talk to the adults. Um, no, he laid hands on them just like he would the adults. And in fact, he went further when he said that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are these children. He used them as an example of what adults should be like when it comes to faith. His compassion was not just an emotion. His compassion was action. Um, compassion is the deep feeling that compels someone to act for another's good. Compassion is the response that God has when people cry out for him, just like a mother would respond to a crying infant. So yes, God is emotional. He's emotional in the best way, like a parent who is deeply bonded to their child, and he's consistent with his emotions. When God's children cry out, he responds, and he feels deep compassion for his people when they're in pain. He's like a parent that... Uh, was, he was like the parents that are sitting on the bench and having a relationship with their children. He welcomes you as his child and he longs to parent us and love us and he tells us to come to him in a simple childlike way. So what does that mean for us practically? I think it means we can trust that God, we can trust that God is who he says he is the compassionate parent, even when we're not perfect or we're not good. God's compassion means that his heart is always turned towards us like a good parent. And we know his disposition when we cry out to him, even if we've turned away or we're struggling. Because of his compassion, he always responds. And he's the God who cares deeply, emotionally, consistently. And the compassion he shows us, we then get the opportunity um, to show others. We're called to be compassionate to others and to each other. So I just want to share another story about a park bench. And it illustrates the, the compassion of God through people, through others. So I've got a, a photo here. So this... Um, not that one, sorry. No. <laughs> that one, great. So this is Dr. Dixon Chibanda, and he's a psychiatrist in Zimbabwe. Now, if you think our mental health system is uh, stretched, just consider what the services are like in some of the African countries on the African continent. Uh, we know that depression can be treated and suicide averted if there was enough psychiatrists and psychologists worldwide to do the job. 
However, in most middle or um, low income countries, the ratio of psychiatrists to the population is about one for every 1.5 million, which means 90% of the population doesn't get access to treatment. And at the time of sharing in his TED talk, um, Dr. Dixon uh, said there were 12 psychiatrists for 14 million people in Zimbabwe, and he was one of them. And then one night he got a call from the ER of a hospital that was 200 kilometres away from where he was, and one of his patients presented at the ER department after a drug overdose. Um, they seemed to be okay, but they needed a psychiatric evaluation, and he couldn't just get in the car and go and see his patient because it was such a long way away. So he came up with a plan with the emergency department doctor, um, and uh, he instructed that his patient, who was a 26-year-old woman named Erica, should come directly to him for her psychiatric assessment once she was released from hospital um, with her mother. And then they could work out what they could do to support her. And he assumed that that would take about a week, but a week passed and she didn't turn up, and then three weeks passed and she didn't turn up. And then one day he gets a call from Erica's mother to say that Erica had taken her life three days before the phone call to the psychiatrist. And he asked the mother, why didn't you bring your daughter to come and, come and see me like we had planned? And she said, we couldn't afford the $15 bus fare to come and see you. So this produced a lot of soul searching for um, Dixon. And he started questioning his role as a psychiatrist because expecting people to come to him was not going to work in a place like Africa with such limited resources. And realising that his country would never be able to scale traditional methods of treating those with mental health issues, he worked out that one of the most reliable and limited resources he had available to use was grandmothers. Grandmothers are in every single community and there was hundreds of them, he worked out. And they never leave their communities for greener pastures. So he devised a plan that set about training grandmothers in evidence-based talk therapy uh, with skills to listen and show empathy, all rooted in cognitive behavioural therapy, which they could deliver on a park bench in their communities. So we can pop those a couple of photos up there. This is his very first group of grandmothers that he trained um, to have conversations about depression on park benches throughout Zimbabwe. And this uh, program now is called the Friendship Bench. So if you Google the Friendship Bench Zimbabwe, you will see it. It's a not-for-profit organisation creating safe spaces and a sense of belonging in communities to enhance the quality of life. And there is similar organisations right around the world. There are now hundreds of grandmothers working in 70 communities. And in the last year alone, more than 30,000 people received treatment on the Friendship Bench from a grandmother in the communities in Zimbabwe. They went on to do a clinical trial of this work and they found that after six months after receiving treatment from a grandmother on the friendship bench, people are still symptom-free with no depression and they've completely reduced the suicide rate and suicide ideation. 
So a God of compassion, using grandmothers of compassion to bring hope and healing and listening ears and skills to others in the area of mental health. And this heart of compassion is not just reserved for mothers and grandfathers, it's a job any of us can do. We can sit on the park bench with others. Or maybe you need to sit on the bench with someone and have someone listen to your story. You don't have to have the heart of a mother or a grandmother to have a heart of compassion for people. Some of the most profound places where compassion happens are those in-between moments in life. So who are you sitting next to on the bench? Who's sitting next to you? Who needs to have your listening ear? Who needs to have your womb and heart of compassion, that deep gut compassion? Who needs to have your encouragement? Jesus sits on the bench with people, but he does it through us. We're his church and we're his people. He uses us on the bench in the ordinariness of life and he can make an extraordinary difference in the lives of others through us. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your heart of compassion. We thank you for the work that you do in this world through ordinary people, through mothers and grandfathers, uh, mothers and fathers, and grandmothers and grandfathers, and um, ordinary people who have a heart for you, who want to share your love and compassion um, with others in the world around us. Help us to linger long on the benches of life, in the in-between spaces. Um, keep us attuned to your spirit for when you want us to listen to stories and encourage others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.